Preamble, Jeffy boy, just let me ramble. Whole damn world in shambles, let the bad times roll the vandals. Brain is feeling scrambled, Homer Simpson in the bramble. Every other scandal got me shaking my head. Damn fool. Don't you wanna run? Don't you wanna go, go dumb? Smack a politician up the backside of their cranium. Throw the racist in a rocket, blast their ass into the sun. Mega guillotine, we about to redistribute income. Hey everyone, welcome back to a very special episode of Probably Should Have Known Better, uh, the podcast celebrating comedy that has aged very poorly. My name's Tony Ginocchio, joined as always by my dear friend and uh, the woman who literally saved Hollywood. Uh, it's Nadia Vasquez. I really like that you're calling this a very special episode with like kind of the vibe of an after school special. Yeah, we're all going to learn a valuable lesson about saying no to drugs. Oh, I did not do well. <laughs> As an adult <laughs> with that. Um, so uh, we are we are um, back after six months off. Uh, we do not we didn't suddenly uh, stop in the middle of season six because of beef or anything like that. Yeah, no, um, we that would be really cool, though. That would that would be cool, but it was literally my wife got COVID and uh, I couldn't record for two weeks, and then I got a new job, and then we kind of forgot about finishing the season. <laughs> and I do appreciate that a lot of people were like, "Hey, like, what's going on? Are you guys okay?" Yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, no, it just things suck right now." We're we're fine. It's just bad timing more <laughs> yeah. than anything. Um, and but obviously, you know, we. We are right now in the middle of kind of one of the brightest eras in Hollywood history because <laughs> there is a massive strike by both WGA West and SAG after it that has so far, we have confirmed, delayed the production of four different Marvel movies. Yes, and WGA East, all of WGA of America. Oh, oh really? All of WGA? Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, it's everybody. Uh, as Kim Kardashian says, nobody wants to work anymore. Just kidding. <laughs> we want to um, work, but we want to be paid fairly. Yeah. That, that, uh, that's it. You know, and Marvel delays obviously aren't the only good thing that could come of this. We obviously want all of our actor and writer friends to be uh, compensated uh, fairly for all of the wonderful work they do in an era where there's just a whole bunch of, like, bullshit with paying people, no residuals on streaming and things like that. And AI, um, which and I didn't realize was such a scary reality already uh, apparently we're gonna talk about that okay. a little bit, but, um, i do you know a, what before we go on i just want to yes. say one thing all of yes. the people who are like nadia you shouldn't say bad things about marvel what if you get cast in something for marvel well guess what it's dying and also all of the actors who are marvel actors including robert downey jr have said i feel like i forgot how to act because i've been Deep working on a yeah i've been working on a green screen for the last 15 years so you know what justified i that's vindication that's what everyone's saying about downey jr specifically because i haven't seen oppenheimer yet but he obviously has a big role in oppenheimer and everybody's like it's really wild seeing robert downey jr act in a movie (laughs) like (laughs) i know it's so weird well i i was thinking about it and i guess I guess the more of the film bros are somewhat on the younger side. So they didn't get pre-jail Robert Downey Jr. in their right. youth. So, you know, yeah. like when he was like 
the hot heartthrob in all of when the- he was on SNL. Yes. Like- oh my gosh. I mean, I loved him with Marissa Tomei in the romantic comedy Only You. Very, very great movie. But he's always been an incredible actor. He just spent some time in jail. Then he was on Ally McBeal and then Iron Man. And that was his big comeback. But right. it obviously spiraled completely out of control because it was a, a machine. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. y- y- all those people, though, who were like, Nadia, you, shouldn't, you should delete these episodes. I'm like, I'm not going to go back and listen to every episode that I talk shit about Marvel in. And then delete it's a lot it because it them, would be just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of them. Um, I also want to shout out two striking actors in particular because they were in movies we've covered. Uh, one is Hilary Duff. Yes. Uh, out on the picket lines, people recognizing her. Hey, Hilary Duff, who's been in like three successful TV series, and people still sing the song from the Lizzie McGuire movie <laughs> around her. <laughs> She's amazing, and, then, and also, you know, my bisexual awakening. Thank you, Hillary. Right. And the other one uh, is uh, David Duchovny, a uh, star of one of the few halfway decent movies we've watched, uh, Return to Me, and uh, is also out there on the pickets uh, holding signs with little UFOs on them because he was on X-Files. I think Duchovny, look, if you listen to this show, and I know you do, Duchovny <laughs> draw in uh some return to me references just be like hollywood took my heart or something like there's something talk to the talk to the writers next to you figure it out like hollywood took my dead wife's heart uh (laughs) (laughs) also you know shout out to him from californication because i know a lot of people who love him from that Mm -hmm. which i refuse to watch (laughs) (laughs) well um, you know, we have obviously these Marvel delays. We have an opportunity for for uh, people to to get compensated fairly for their work and to build careers in the arts. Um, we have David Duchovny on the pickets. But uh, another good thing um, that happened and, and kind of the reason why we wanted to record this episode is every uh, <laughs> every SAG-AFTRA member basically had to pull out of San Diego Comic-Con because they couldn't <laughs> promote any struck properties. Um, but as it turns out, um, you can promote, uh, things that are not products of struck studios and you can, and are encouraged to promote projects that no sag after member in their right mind, mm-hmm. uh, would ever be associated with. Uh, so Nadia, would you like to tell us what you were up to a week ago <laughs> in San Diego? Oh no, I I really don't want us to be lumped in with that category. But I did get to talk about the podcast on a San Diego Comic Con panel. Um, actually, you know what? I'm gonna pull it up. I uh-huh. should have been prepared. Hold on. Uh, I'm gonna find the. Well, and while you're pulling it up, like, more broadly, the topic of the panel was basically what our show does. Yes, right. <laughs> right. It It is, it was a show about when our problem, our faves become problematic is the title right. of it. And it's, it was a lot of fun because it was moderated by my good friend, Mike Rowe, who is, oh my goodness, I am on his Twitter. Hold on a second. <laughs> Oh, he, no. he found an old uh, interview I did with Nick Carter uh, and put it on his, his Twitter. I have actually just a backstory. I've deleted my Twitter. I'm sorry, my ex account. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> because it's a fucking joke and incredibly it's, it's just fucking awful sorry to say so many f words all in a row but yeah it, it it's just been really bad and really bad for my mental health and so i deleted it but now i don't really know where to get my news i'll just be real about it i have no idea I, where I, to find stuff about like baseball legit, or anything i legit now have an rss app like like it's dude those still exist three again oh yeah yeah, I, I, I literally, because I got out of Twitter like a year ago, and I just deleted my Facebook like two days ago, <laughs> um, and it's literally just now I just have an RSS app, and uh, like I have a pop culture feed, I have a politics feed, and then I have two feeds on Catholicism, <laughs> which are labeled Nightmare and Not Nightmare. <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. Okay, I need you to send me information on that. But okay. Yeah. I have the information here now. So it is called When Pop Culture Faves Become Problematic. It was on Sunday evening at San Diego Comic Con. And it was uh, the panel was described as the following. There are so many classic shows and movies that we remember fondly. But when we look back, well, there may be more cringing in 2023. We keep growing and learning, so how do we process pop culture, even when it's genius, that's stuck in time? We talk with a diverse panel of creators about media that hasn't fully held up. Join the conversation with Tilly Bridges, Megan Fitzmartin, Javier Grillo Marceau, I hope that I pronounced his name correctly, Jay Holtham, Justin uh, Peniston? Justin Pen. That was the the most common question I got from my friends was, "Is there a man named Justin Peniston on the panel?" He's really nice. Let's not do this right now. Okay. Me okay. and the moderator Mike Rowe. Obviously, it has their credits on there. You can find this online if you want to see. But it uh, we got to talk about this kind of stuff that we talk about on the podcast. But there is no you, and that was really hard for me. <laughs> Well, that's that's kind of you to say. I feel like, arguably, probably more got done without me there. <laughs> um, you know what? I have to also preface that I, I don't want to talk shit. I will talk shit about Comic Con, but I don't want to talk shit yeah. about my fellow panelists because there's nothing really to say about it. But I want to talk shit about the fact that we have to have this conversation. Sure. And how. It's just inherently a negative conversation. So it was it was a little tough for me, as you know, with our podcast, we try not to be very negative. We try to actually celebrate it and be like, no, this was bad, but we're having fun while doing it. And it was just like, yes. we didn't quite get there with the panel. And like some oh, really? some people actually got up and left, which I was like, I can't take that personally. I understand you think like, anything could have been the reason why. But it did make me feel a little bit self-conscious and worried that I was being a little bit more negative than I normally am. But I mean, luckily yeah. that wasn't recorded. So there's I could just say that it was so positive and we solved every <laughs> problem ever made. Well, that is, again, saves Hollywood. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that's something if if i were doing this show with anyone else it would be a fucking disaster <laughs> because um because it would be negative right i feel like you um from the very beginning of the show from when we were like originally talking about doing the show over 5 years ago now um you were like yes but let's be nice about it and that was that i think remained a very important sort of guiding star for our show 
um, and one that I'm happy that we stick to, even yes. though with some movies it's very difficult for me to do Yeah, that. dude. I thought about that, too. Well, the other thing that was important to me was I didn't want to shit on anybody's favorite movie. And that was mm-hmm. something a lot of my friends who haven't listened to the podcast say they're a little too scared to listen to it. Because they're like, well, what if you do one of my favorite movies and you shit on it the whole time? It's like, dude, that's not what we're doing at all. Unless your favorite movie is New Year's Eve, which (laughs) did literally happen to a friend of mine. I'm so sorry to that friend. Or or bringing down the house. Yeah. (laughs) Unless it's bringing down the house, you're probably fine. Yeah. Um, We were just looking at it in a different way. Rather than shitting on it. Right. So let me ask you this then. What um, what pieces of pop culture like came up like when, when you were having this discussion? Okay. So there was a writer who worked on the show Charmed. And, oh, wow. Uh, he was awesome. Um, I want to find his name because I want to be nice and I want to shout him out because he was truly – everybody on this panel was – I don't know why I was there, dude. (laughs) They were all incredibly accomplished people. Uh, Like, Tilly Bridges has a book about uh, Mm -hmm. the trans allegories of the Matrix. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Megan Fitzmartin is a personal friend of mine. Uh, She wrote the podcast Red Rhino that I'm in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but she also wrote on the show Supernatural and writes for DC Comics. She was the one that wrote the story of Robin being bisexual, which was like a huge deal oh, wow. in the comic book world. And then uh, Javier was wrote on Lost. And oh, wow. <laughs> Jay Haltham wrote on Supergirl and The Handmaid's Tale. And then Justin wrote on Sonic Prime and Hunter Black. And then me. <laughs> and that the funniest part, if you guys look up the panel description, Nadi- Nadia, who, you know... It, like works as has done voice voiceover work like she has been on commercials that and you can hear her voice right now on those like she was on conan if you've watched conan in the past like i don't know what five ten years you're in plenty of sketches on that show um and the first credit you got was probably should have known <laughs> probably should have known better podcast comma conan i was just like oh man i <laughs> It was it was very nice. Mike was very fair about how he introduced everyone. There was obviously like TV writers, comic book writers. I think mm-hmm. they probably had to say that I was a podcast host because of the nature of the strike and everything, which I appreciated. Right. I, I mean, this doesn't mean that I'm a scab in any way, if anyone's worried about that, because I wasn't. I spent more time researching this <laughs> than I have any actual episode of the podcast <laughs> is... This was actually within, first of all, neither of us are guild members, but (laughs) this was within all of the appropriate parameters of the strike because we were not promoting any struck properties. Right. We weren't, yeah, we weren't, we weren't taking work away from any possible union members. And again, um, no SAG after member in their right mind would ever consider being associated with (laughs) unless it's ryan reynolds we still want to do a season about your movies but yeah (laughs) ryan come on the show okay so back to the story at hand so javier was he's a he was a writer on lost and he also wrote on charmed and there was an episode where shannon doherty's character uh turns into a man for an episode 
Oh. And he was like, I didn't feel great when I was writing the episode. And I felt worse when I wasn't rewriting the episode. And so there were a lot of things on there that he's not super proud of that ended up becoming part of the episode for comedic sake. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there was a lot of awkward, cringy stuff about stuff that the people on the panel had made. And then there was a lot of like, well, the first question that Mike asked was, what are things that you have been watching lately that don't hold up well? And mm. so the uh, the movie True Lies was mentioned because it was really mm. sexist. I had just finished watching Gilmore Girls for the second time, which is yeah. just very out of touch from reality, but I love it. It's just really fun. Um, it's, and I, I like Gilmore Girls, but Rory Gilmore is such an appalling character. She's so <laughs> just, awful. Yeah. I watched it. I watched it the first time in like 2013, and I remember texting uh-huh. you and being like, "Dude, I love Gilmore Girls. This is really good, but I fucking hate Rory Gilmore." And you're like, yeah. "Just wait." <laughs> yeah, it gets way worse, buddy. Yeah, and as as wait I've grown she up, destroys as a, a marriage. <laughs> See the guy from Supernatural. Uh, yes. But yeah, at watching it again at the age of 35 years old, I was like, oh, fuck no. This is... Yeah. It's, it was hard to get through. So, you know, it was a lot of that yeah. stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But then the conversation kind of took a turn towards the negative that I don't like that if we get to, I would be like, all right, let's relax a little bit. Because <laughs> it was like... This show is bad. This show is bad. This show is bad. This show is bad. And it's like, no, there's so much nuance to this conversation. But then Mike, he is so brilliant at what he does. M- Mike is a journalist and he also wrote the 30 Rock book, which was like a, a oral history of the show 30 mm-hmm. Rock. And he is like obviously has firsthand experience of there is a show that's really good and it's very beloved in our hearts, but it hasn't aged really well. There are three blackface episodes. like there, Right, yeah. There are episodes of 30 Rock that you can't stream anymore. Yeah, like, yeah. and the, yeah. he mentioned those in, in the panel when we were talking about it. And uh, he managed to steer it back into, all right, so what do we do about it? And mm-hmm. so I, I noticed in myself that when things kind of started to be kind of pile on-y, I didn't say much, and I could see the, my friend that I that came with me, and she was like encouraging me to say something, and I was just like, I don't know what to say because I don't, I try not to see it as I try not to see things this way. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it is bad and it is not great, but like, what do you want me to do about it? It gave people jobs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think there's plenty to do. Plenty that that can be done to make sure, like, stuff like this, stuff that is, is, you know, that that causes problems like this doesn't keep getting made, right? Right. There's there's occasion, you know, there's different sorts of people you can hire to have work on shows, and then we traditionally have in in Hollywood, which has always been very white and very male when Mm -hmm. you look at writers and actors and directors and producers. Like, there's all sorts of things you can put in place to be like, oh, moving forward, we're going to have, like, better storytelling we're gonna have storytelling that's more reflective of um kind of all these different voices out there it's like well we can't go back and uh reshoot 30 rock like (laughs) it's true as much as we really really want to because i really want to see what alec baldwin's like after marrying hilaria (laughs) (laughs) but how much spanish does he know now (laughs) 
un poco, un poco. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's like, well, what do we, what do we do? So obviously, like, whatever the solution is, it's going to be something that our podcast has already done, right? Like that goes without saying. And so, because we've what do we solved do? everything, <laughs> we've solved everything. What do we do? We understand what the hell was going on in the world when. They made this. Yes. Right? Yes. And that's, that's something that I it. talked about on the panel. Yeah. So I didn't yeah. go I didn't go to plug the podcast. I went to mm-hmm. represent the podcast and I said the number one thing that we do to avoid spiraling into despair is we give it this window of like this is what was going on with music, with movies, with politics. Uh, in the Saturday Night Live's case, what was going on with the cast, things like mm-hmm. that. And it really helps because it does this. Then this thing doesn't really exist in a vacuum to piss you off. And I, I think a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, like I forgot that I could do that. <laughs> like people in the in the audience of the panel were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Honestly, the SNL the SNL season, which was your idea, I'm going to give you credit for that Thank idea, you. like, is the thing I am probably most proud of doing on the show because of how much I personally learned, like, <laughs> just about hi- the history of television. Yeah, dude. It's um, fascinating. And, it's like it really yeah. puts its finger on the pulse of just pop culture in general. Yes. Um, Maybe not and, anymore, and... but back then. And so there's that SNL piece, and I think the other thing, and you, guys, you knew you knew where it was going here. The other thing we talk about all the time is 9/11, <laughs> and but like there was a, it was like the five years after 9/11, it was literally we tried every single type of comedy because nobody knew what was funny anymore. Yeah, and that's how we got Van Wilder and bringing down the house. <laughs> we also got Chicago. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah, Chicago was okay. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. Uh, if you're ranking Queen Latifah movies from 2003, it goes Chicago <laughs> and then. All, everything that Queen Latifah did that year was really hit or miss. Uh, no, <laughs> it, it was it was really fascinating also because the dynamic between the panelists was its own thing because these are all very creative people who hang out alone and make their stuff. Mm -hmm. And so then they get to come out and like talk to people about it. But in this case, it's like, this isn't necessarily about the stuff that I've made. Although Javier gave a great example of his episode of charmed. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it was more like, Oh, cool. Like I don't get to talk about this kind of stuff. And that was Mm -hmm. the part that actually made me a little bit sad. Cause it's like, all of us have had, there was one, there were two two white people on the panel and the rest were people of color uh mostly mm. male so and also like the men kind of took over a lot which is like read the room That's but it's us. i still had a great time <laughs> i had a great time and i still learned things but uh but for the most part a lot of us were just like it sucks that there isn't a lot of stuff that represents us, but it's really cool that a lot of us are getting these jobs. But, you know, then there was a little bit of talking about, like, what their experiences were as the diversity hire, which is a thing mm. for people who aren't in the industry, is for the most part, most writers room, unless you're Ryan Murphy, probably, uh, have a diversity hire, which is mm. somebody, either a person of color or a queer person who represents a minority of some kind i hate using that word uh and then like 
sits on the writing staff. Mindy Kaling was a diversity hire for the office, for example. I mean, Donald Glover, when he wrote for 30 Rock, basically. Diversity hire. Exactly. Right, which is. Which is funny because he didn't write for Tracy. He wrote for Kenneth mostly. (laughs) (laughs) He was so good at that. Uh, But yeah, I I do remember like I wasn't doing anything really intense. I was working on a web series and this girl that I do not talk to anymore because of this reason. (laughs) I walked in and it was just a bunch of her friends. And then she goes, our diversity is here. Uh, and I wanted that's... to do that, like, Grandpa from The Simpsons just meme. Just turn around <laughs> yeah. and walk right back, yeah. Yeah, but I, like, I was so in shock that somebody would say that, that I was just like, what? I'm going to sit down, I guess. What a shitty thing. Shitty to say, shitty to think, one. Shitty to say out loud to the other writers, too. Unbelievably shitty to say out loud to the other writers in front of you. Yeah, to my face. I was like, God uh, damn it. Yeah, so, you know, we were sharing kind of stuff about that, which felt validating to me as somebody who's never, like, a lot of my writer friends are white people and Mm -hmm. who have, like, worked in a writer's room, so I don't know what their experience is like. So to hear that, I'm like, oh, okay, so it's not just me, which actually made me more sad. Yeah, that's actually worse. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was. I think the one piece that I didn't get a chance to say because the men were talking was that I was really bummed out that we had to have a panel like this in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it's fine. But anyway, Mark, <laughs> Mark, Mike uh, asked us also like, is there a piece of media that you think is like doing better or? is something that's like standing out to you as more diverse. And I cited, and just like that, the Sex and the City mm-hmm. reboot as an overcorrection. Yes. yes. Yeah. When they introduce the character of Che Diaz, everybody's like, no, not like this, <laughs> guys. Yeah, and all of them now have a brown friend. Yes. So that's a lot. If I if I remember, and I have not watched in just like that, but I've actually read a lot about it because I'm just fascinated by the decisions that they have made. Oh yeah. Uh, so Carrie, the uh, Sarah Jessica Parker character, right? Carrie hosts. She's a podcaster now. Yeah. And uh, I believe she co-hosts with the with Che Diaz, and the and like there's a segment on the podcast where they press a button that says woke moments. <laughs> Yeah, that's way back in season one, but yeah. That's in season one? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shay Diaz is played by the incomparably talented on Broadway, specifically, uh, Sara Ramirez, who people, right. when I was in theater school, would say I looked like, which just felt a little racist. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't. And, and, and yeah, and it's, it's more the writing for the character uh, was... Uh, from what I understand, uh, really awful. bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Sarah Ramirez in real life uh, identifies as non-binary. So their character on the show is also non-binary, but also not funny. Also annoying. And yeah. also really <laughs> annoying. And so it's like all, I know a lot of the non-binary community is like, sh- <laughs> this is shitty representation of our community. Well, like, like Shay gets a. Uh, uh, a pilot and they're out mm-hmm. in Hollywood and doing stand-up shows in between shooting uh, their pilot and there was this joke it was the end of the set and they said oh everybody in LA is so lazy they take an Ubers everywhere 
just this morning, I took an Uber from my bathroom to the living room. And that's my time, everyone. <laughs> that's the closer? That's the closer. That's the closer. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, like, not fair or good representation. Also, everyone hates the character, and that's really sucky. But also, mm-hmm. Charlotte has a new mom friend, and she's black and powerful. And right. uh, Carrie has a... She has Sam- an Indian friend? She has an Indian right? friend who is a little like yes. Samantha. She's a little sexy, Ugh. a little dark and dangerous, and, like, really annoying. <laughs> So it's it's just an overcorrection of it. We did spend some time mm-hmm. talking about that on the panel, but I mean, it, to say that anything representation-wise is perfect is like not correct. You ba- like obviously you have your uh you have your your succession, right, which is what I'm working through right now and Ooh, you have yes. Uh, obviously the the main characters are all very white like for a reason mm-hmm. right um but i like to i just like to project kind of any sort of like in my head like kendall is non-binary <laughs> and he is ace and he is poly uh and he's just he's everything to me yeah. i love you kendall <laughs> I, love, I love a kendall girly <laughs> myself so i feel the same <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm only five years behind on my time. <laughs> it's okay. I'm really excited for you and Stacey because I know yeah. she's watching as well. Uh, yes. The, the hard part about the panel, just to go back to it, oh, yeah, is yeah. asking all of these questions was, was really good, but Megan made the best argument for everything, and then we still had like 40 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> she said, yeah, this stuff is old. But we are learning and growing as people as time goes on. So if you learn and grow as a person, you can just do better. And so on, yeah. on as an artist on an individual basis, if you just do better, that's great. And then that and we were like, yeah. <laughs> OK, yeah. Uh, well, thanks, everyone. Because um... that is really, you know, obviously there's like a bigger umbrella of people who are in charge that need to also fuck off. But yeah. <laughs> for the most part, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So I was just like, we got 40 more minutes, guys. What are we going to do? We've solved everything. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's it's like, yeah, it's it's still worthwhile to learn why something why we used to think something was funny. And why it's not funny anymore. Mm-hmm. That's actually like a really good thing to know sometimes. And it's good information to have. Oh, Mike asked a great question. And I wanted to ask you. Yeah. He sure. he asked the panel, do you think that things that age really badly shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to be seen anymore? Um, Not necessarily. Um, I think. I think there's a difference, too, between like paying to broadcast it um somewhere or like theatric so i'm thinking about bringing down the house right (laughs) which we kind of usually point to as one of the worst if not the worst movies we've ever watched Mm -hmm. i think it might be the worst comedy i've seen in my life (laughs) um and it's oh no like that's one like if they're like we're going to theatrically re-release it uh or we're going to reboot it i'd be like no that's yeah we shouldn't be doing that why you know People don't need to keep making money off of this. Um, I think there's a difference between that and, like, you can find a DVD secondhand at Amazon or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think that's, I don't know, if people want to view it as some sort of odd cultural artifact. Like, I think there's, I mean, the other way I think about it is, like, 
So if you go on to Disney Plus or something. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what I said. And you and you stream Peter Pan. Yes. Right. What happens at the beginning of Peter Pan? It says this was made during a time we fucked up (laughs) where it was not cool what we did. But we're just letting you know that it was made during this time when saying, you know, Native Americans were savages. Yeah, singing What Makes the Red Man Red was once widely accepted in our society. It's not anymore, and it probably shouldn't have been then. No, like, no. Like, and if you go to, like, um, the Museum of Natural History in New York, and they have uh, dioramas up still of, like, the pilgrims and Indians, mm-hmm. like, you know, exchanging turkeys or whatever, <laughs> um, there's like there's a there's a placard you know like on the on the fucking glass now that's like hey just so you know the pilgrims were actually shooting the indigenous people <laughs> um at this point in history uh we're keeping this so you know how we used to talk about this yes so you can under because that's part of our history too is how we used to talk about this yeah um uh but just so you know it's wrong right like I think there is like putting something in its proper context does not um destroy it and in fact can enrich your own experience of um learning and uh and enjoying life through the consumption of art it's true have you seen barbie yet i have not um okay. we might go this weekend if we can get a sitter um because like this so i have a four-year-old girl and a one-year-old girl and i have to be like hey mommy and i are going to see a movie about barbie it's not for you <laughs> It's, it's actually about existential despair. We'll talk about that yeah. when you're older. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, that will be a fun conversation for me to have. But, yeah, no, we want to see it. So point. are you uh, familiar with kind of the themes of it all from the Internet? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen the trailer. I have seen many of the memes on Tumblr. You know, <laughs> my understanding is uh, Margot Robbie's character starts having – existential angst right she, yeah. hey do you guys ever think about dying that sort of thing and so she has to go into the real world to like learn about i assume original sin uh, <laughs> yeah you're totally a hundred percent right no not at all listen i think you're gonna have a great time based off what you know and what you're going no to i think see. i will too yeah yeah uh but my mom if i may speak about my mother i was I've watched Barbie twice on the same day. I was I loved it. It was really fun. Yeah. And I was really excited because it does talk a little bit about womanhood. So I was really excited to tell my mom, like, I'm really, I, I can't wait to hear what you think about Barbie. I, I think this, now that I'm an adult woman and you're an adult woman, we can talk about this in, like, an adult kind of way through Barbie womanhood it's really hard and so i my mom went this weekend and she was like i didn't really like it it was too much (laughs) so i had to kind of let go of this idea that i could relate to my mother about womanhood at all (laughs) through barbie because she thought that it was quote unquote too much which is funny because she says that these things about stuff that we talk about on the podcast. She does not listen mm-hmm. to the podcast because she thinks... Which is for the best. Which is for the best. Because she thinks that it ruins the way that she looks at things. And it's mm-hmm. like, that is kind of the point. Like, you <laughs> like you want to be critical of things to know how we as a society and as artists have learned and grown. 
Like, right. isn't this like a fun way of looking at how different things are? Like the Three Amigos, we watched that a lot when I was younger, but like, mm-hmm. it's not great. <laughs> but it's but at the same time, you learn so much about like, oh, this is what Lorne Michaels was like yes. when this movie was made. This is what Chevy Chase was like. Yes. This is what, and, and maybe that can inform you with like, oh, this is how I want to live as a person and these are the kind of stories I want to hear and tell. Right, <laughs> right? and these are the values that I hold for right. myself where I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to be the butt of the joke anymore. I can appreciate that there like a lot of people were employed to make this really mean joke happen, but like <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. You know, so I I was really excited about it and her being like, mm, it was too much like too I know that there are people out there who don't like doing this and don't when, like seeing when things you say, that way. When you say she said it was too much, she she thought the movie was like too heavy-handed, you're saying? No, she thought that it should have been about the toys. Yeah, she, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I have heard, so first of all, I'm sure it's great. I have no doubt it's great because Greta Gerwig directed it and Ryan Gosling is a great actor and... Uh, and I've heard the set design in like the entire art direction of the movie is a triumph mm-hmm, I've heard mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's hilarious and wonderful um, very, but that's interesting that's a really it's very moving and like it's not a movie about the toys and I think right. that they marketed it like you're gonna have a great time with Barbie which mm-hmm. is fun because when you're met with like existential despair it's like oh that's cool she's just that's like funny. me <laughs> That dissonance is funny. Yes. Um, well, the other, I mean, it's kind of an on-the-nose comparison to make, but one of my favorite, favorite movies of the 2010s, uh, the Lego movie. Oh, um, so good. Which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant movie, right? And it, like, on the one hand, most of the movie feels like this, and I mean this as a compliment, <laughs> most of the movie feels like the script was written by a five-year-old. And yes. I don't mean that as... It, I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, like, yes. it sounds like a five-year-old playing with his Legos. Yes. Um, and making them, like, fly around and zoom around and do cool things. It's super fun. And then at the end, you get, like, this whole, like, oh, this is how his dad plays with Legos. And this is uh, this is why th- uh, President Business is the bad guy. And this is what <laughs> it's, like, ends up being this very moving thing about, like, oh, this is what family is like. And this is what you learn from your kids. And this is what your kids learn from you. And then at the end, I'm like, why am I crying at the Lego movie? <laughs> It's so true. And then, of course, you get a Lonely Island song at the end with Tegan and Sarah. Yes, Lonely and, Island. Oscar-nominated Lonely Island song. Incredible. It's it, it's similar in that Barbie is similar to the Lego movie where you're just like, I didn't expect to be so moved. I don't want to, like, build it up yeah. into something because, like, it's not without its flaws. And especially it's mm-hmm. great because Ben Shapiro hates it, and we know that that well, means yeah, it's good. Well, yeah, so we know that's going to be good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but like... I think because you and I have this perspective perspective of just like we don't watch movies in the same way that a lot of people do like we both have been in like adjacent to the industry for so long that like people Mm -hmm. who aren't are just like well I wasn't entertained and it's like oh that's what it is for you I forget (laughs) that (laughs) let me me tell you what entertains me overthinking things um so uh, I I just want to say one quick thing about Shapiro. Um, obviously, like obviously, he was always going to complain about the Barbie movie because that's what he gets paid to do. Right. I get that. Um, it is very funny f- 
to imagine him going in with like an open mind, <laughs> like just being like, maybe, maybe I'm going to like this one. Maybe it's about how Barbie needs to respect the police. <laughs> I don't think there were any police in Barbie land, which is pretty exciting. Which is, which is why it's so idyllic. There. That's why it's really <laughs> fun there. Uh, I mean, not to talk about struck properties because we're not promoting yes. it in any way. Uh, but yeah. I think, I think, Mike did a really good job at the panel mm-hmm. of yes. reining everybody in and making mm-hmm. sure that everybody got to say their piece and asking the right questions. But in the end, like I said, Megan Fitzmartin, who is really great, and you should check out all of her stuff, uh, mm-hmm. she kind of s- figured it out already. So, like, the solution is pretty simple, and it's just, like, just do better. Be a, be a person in the world who grows and changes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, I guess I would add on to that and just be like, just let there be nuance and understand mm-hmm. that things were made in their time. And it's not about, like, well, this movie is shitty now. And it's like, <laughs> right. it was still good at the time, though. Like, it's okay to appreciate something for what it was in another time and still know that it wasn't great and like don't fucking perform yeah we don't need we don't need to perform how great we are i feel like and especially i think so like you know guys here's the here's the story of every 35 year old white dude with glasses you know (laughs) um so after uh donald trump got elected president i uh, decided to become uh, more active politically and joined the democratic socialists of america Mm. Uh, and so uh, i'm not very active in it anymore because i have two small children but um one of the things that i learned very quickly is um uh, just, uh, just like nobody cares what you have to say. Like, does that just in general? Just like, just sit and listen yeah. and be polite, yeah. and no one to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we live. I don't want to be like we live in a society, but we do. We live in a society, guys. We live in a society. The Joker was right. <laughs> we live in a society right now. Where everybody has to have, like, a statement mm-hmm. about everything. It's like, yeah. I will give this example, and I will not say names, but there is a girl that I went to high school with who <laughs> wrote to her, like, 170 followers on Instagram, and I went to see how many, because I, I, was, I was like, when did she become an influencer? She wrote a Apple Notes app apology about oh, no. getting back together with her abusive girlfriend. Oh, God. Does she make me feel bad? Yes. Are we working on our relationship? Yes. She has made me so happy that the happier times outweigh the bad times. And we're going to give it another shot. Girl, nobody asked for that. Why right. do you feel like you need to write an, a notes app apology on your That's personal so account? That is so crazy. I know people who post journal entries on their Facebook to like it, it we don't have to do this. I don't know why everybody feels like they need to do this. And and I know what you guys are thinking. Hey, wait a second, you guys have a podcast. Yes, but we are <laughs> trying to crack each other up primarily yeah. here. It's just a and, big bonus that anybody listens. Right. I mean that's a gravy train at this point. But 
the other um the other th- like i it, like i read a newsletter right that goes goes out to some people and it's about catholicism and sometimes i have a take on things but first and foremost when i am writing it i am like are people going to find this entertaining or interesting mm-hmm. um and also if they don't i don't really like lose sleep over it cuz they're not paying for it and they don't have to read it if they don't want to that's true and I love reading yeah. your newsletter, by the way. My favorite one was about the ghost band sandwich. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. In my Newberry uh, metal newsletter, the famous, the infamous ghost burger of 2013, which was a real hamburger named after the metal band Ghost, that uh, ran at a Chicago restaurant called Kuma's, which makes delicious burgers, and. Uh, got uh the restaurant condemned by the archdiocese of chicago because (laughs) it had an unconsecrated communion wafer uh as a garnish yeah it it would Uh, like melt with the cheese i think it's pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) it had multiple wafers didn't it did it wasn't it like uh, a bed of wafers you no, it was it standard was one you could request extra or none See, no, that's cool. That's fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, go, back to the main thing, though. <laughs> but on your, on your panel, yes. <laughs> the the main point that I'm saying is that, like, I do feel like there is a little bit of self-importance in how good everyone is as a person right now. So I'm pretty mm-hmm. excited to get to the point where everyone's like, okay, shut up. <laughs> well. I think what's going to help is all of social media appears to be dying right now. Very excited for like, it. <laughs> Except for TikTok, but I'm not on that app, so I don't really know what the vibe is over there. Right, yeah, no idea what's going on over there. We wish you all the best. <laughs> um, twi- Twitter, or FKA Twitter is dead. Like, Excuse um, you, you need to show some respect and not dead name X. <laughs> no, I, I saw that was on tumblr it made me laugh so hard it's like i'm not calling that shit x i'm dead naming that <laughs> just like he dead names his child horrible it's horrible yeah um, it's it's like it really is dying uh the sponsorship is all insane alt-right people now yeah, yeah the advertising's drying up like so twitter's dying facebook is just so stag it's just all ads for like t-shirts and shit now well, it's because they spent um, all the money on the metaverse that like the metaverse 39 people thing. used is a joke the twitter replacement from meta um threads like user uh, user engagement has dropped like 80 percent in three weeks like on the one hand it's like the era of like writing something or making something and posting it online and maybe people find it that's going to be very different yeah and that's kind of sad yeah. for a lot of reasons mm-hmm. but also there's going to be a lot of stupid bullshit that like world ending bullshit that maybe won't travel as fast as it used to yeah it's really weird to not have a news source that is like (laughs) verified yeah or that isn't some fucking guy that like really loves crypto and loves elon musk and like wants to eat his butt you know like it's like you guys i want to get news from somebody who's a journalist not some guy with like an ape profile picture i thought those were gone (laughs) i can't like also like board ape has has crashed completely right Right. like they're worth like five dollars now or whatever and it's like why did you ever think those would be worth anything (laughs) (laughs) but you can make your nft your profile picture now 
Why did you think those would be worth anything? Oh, my God. Oh, God. Okay. Anyway, we're not here to be like, everything sucks. But sometimes everything does suck. But we just got to find the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think Mike created that for us with the panel because, you know, we had an opportunity to talk about it. Did it go perfectly in the positive direction? No. But I think people Mm -hmm. needed to get stuff out of their system in front of people who cared enough to come. And listen about it. Look, there's this song came out like two years ago. It's by a punk band named Bad Moves. Um, it's really great. And it's about how everything sucks and we're either going to die in like a nuclear war or the earth is just going to boil. <laughs> and the title of the song is Party with the Kids Who Want to Party with You. Yeah, uh, I like that. And and it's a really <laughs> good song about like how do you how do you find the people you love and just share some joy with them because we're all going to die at some point even if it's not in a horrible world ending event. Yeah. Um and so that's what that's what I'm trying to do with you Nadia. Aww. I'm partying with the kids who want to party with me. Oh, I love uh, that. I am really glad that we're talking about it. And like I said, I didn't want to talk shit about it mm-hmm. because it wasn't warranted. Uh there were like some things that I probably would have changed about the whole thing. Read men telling you to stop talking but (laughs) but overall that was the really big highlight of it uh because comic-con fucking sucks bro (laughs) i was gonna like this is the first comic-con in 20 years that's actually primarily about comic books (laughs) yeah i used to go to comic-con with some friends when i used to work at the van store in san francisco like in 2011 We, we we were like, we should go to Comic-Con together, and we actually held our promise, and we went. Uh, one, unfortunately, one of our friends that we went with passed away, but we went uh, two or three years in a row, once without her. And it got worse and worse as time went on, because yeah. that's when, like, Marvel started to get... Hall H shit. Yeah, yeah, it was Marvel, Game of Thrones, Sons of Anarchy, these really, really big shows. And eventually it got to the point where, like, if you were in line for something, like, good luck. Hopefully you get in. If not, you spent all day in line. And yeah. to this time, it wasn't like that, but there were way too many people there. Interesting. They just oversold tickets, and uh, there is a, a really big exhibition hall where you could see artists and, you know, like, mm-hmm. bigger companies. And you're basically, it's like when you go shopping at Trader Joe's in New York City where you walk in and you just get in line and then you shop through every aisle until you get to the end. It was just like that. And you had to penguin walk. And I was like, absolutely fucking not. (laughs) I was not having it. And I brought my friend who had never been there. And she was like, is it like this all the time? Like, I don't know, dude. Additionally, (laughs) though, there (laughs) this is the worst part. This is the worst part. There was a viral tweet from someone Uh who said, a friend at San Diego Comic-Con is now COVID positive because a roommate wasn't honest about systems. Now friend is stranded in the wrong state and other friends who may have been exposed have to buy tests and change plans and leave the uh, show early. The roommate is out at Comic-Con today in full Asaka cosplay (laughs) and it's like if your knowledge of anime isn't deep enough you're like I just have to avoid 
anyone that looks like they could be from an yeah, anime. Yeah, so anytime you see the beautiful character from Star Wars walking around, it was possibly the one that was COVID oh, positive. It, it was a star. It was a Star Wars character. Is, isn't Asaka A H S O K A? Isn't she from? Isn't that Rosario Dawson's character from Star Wars? Oh, I have no idea. It's maybe. Well, <laughs> that person was in that cosplay, and so everybody at the whenever you saw someone in that costume, people would be running away from them. <laughs> and then. Also, just on top of all of that, one of the panelists DM'd me, and he was like, oh, hey, I'm COVID positive, and I have strep throat, so you might want to get tested. <laughs> I was just like, you know what? I fucking hate Comic-Con so have, much. <laughs> have you still had COVID zero times? I have never tested positive. I have never tested positive either. Oh my we God. might be the last two people. I think we might be. I think we after I saw My Chemical Romance, I had strep and then I got yes, I, you told me that I got a COVID uh, exposure notification, but I never tested mm-hmm. positive. Never tested positive. Yeah. Well, you know what they say: may strep never stop you. <laughs> anyway, Comic Con, you need to stop selling so many tickets or just giving them away at what because at. I got Well, it's also funny that they they sold all those passes like before the strike started. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I, I, that yeah. does make sense because I guess people who would have been in Hall H were just walking right. around. But I was like, mm-hmm. I I made a promise to myself when I went with my friends because it got really bad. I was like, I'm never ever coming back unless I'm going to be on a panel. And I got to right. be on a panel, but I wasn't. Which is awesome. But I wasn't on a Hall H panel where I would get security. Or someone to escort me around or, like, pick up food for me. I was like, you know what? I want to come back when I'm bougie. (laughs) It is an extroverts event, and it just wasn't for me. I don't want to say that it sucks, because to a lot of people, it might have been really fun. But to me, a little bit of a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate you plugging the show. Uh (laughs) No, no, so, I didn't plug. I represented. Represented. <laughs> I appreciate you. Also, so Nadia texted me, by the way, like, you know, right before this happened to be like, hey, you know, and she explained like, hey, the panel's about this. My friend invited me to be on it. Are you cool if I do this? And I, I thought she was asking me like, are you cool if I do this because it might be crossing the picket line? Which no. Which learned it, it was not. <laughs> Because Nadia had already figured that out. She's like, oh, I checked. This isn't actually crying. She was asking if my if I would feel left out. <laughs> yeah, I did ask Mike. I was like, hey, is it cool if Tony comes? Or like, what's the deal? I, I don't know. I was like, I don't know. Like, he'd have to fly out here. He's like, well, yeah. there's not that much room on the panel. And I was like, okay, Tony, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, I, no, it, it was like, as soon as I was like, oh, no, it's it's fine to do this during this. Then, yes, fine. Go, go with God. I mean, what um, we really needed but, on the panel was a white guy. Another white man, yeah, I think is kind of the, the, the only white thing. man. Then you would have known what it would feel like to be me. Ah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I am sorry that I could not uh, watch it, That's but um, I'm glad I'm glad you got a chance to do it. I'm glad we all learned something from it. Are you ready for me to do my stupid bullshit? Fuck yeah, dude. What do you have planned? I'm scared a little. Okay, so so here's so we're in the middle of the strike and like one of the one of the major issues animating the strike is AI, right? Yeah. So like studios want to like for example, they want to throw a thousand law and order scripts into the computer. <laughs> 
and have it just spit out new law and order scripts that are just like generated by the you know by OpenAI, by ChatGPT, whatever it is, you know, this this text generative computer program. Because, like, if you do that, then you don't have to pay a writer's room. Maybe you pay one writer, and he, like, kind of cleans up the or typos. Or she, or the they. Yeah, or, or she, or they. Thank you. Cleans up the typos or continuity. Ga- yeah, when we when we lay off 90% of writers, we will make sure we have <laughs> adequate representation. So, like... That, so, like, that's one of the things that's put the guild out on strike, right? Is, like, yeah. this is a scary thing. Is, like, do, are studios just going to use this so they don't have to hire human beings? Because I don't want to live in a world where, like, our art is just shoving a bunch of shit into a computer. And it's the same thing with acting. Is It's, like, one of the things the, the studios proposed to SAG-AFTRA was, like, so for background acting, we'll just scan someone. We'll pay them for, the, for one day at the guild minimum to scan their face and body and then we can just you know use a cgi of them uh forever right and like so then in another couple years there's not going to be background actors anymore which means there's not going to be people learning how to be on set there's not going to be people like building a career in hollywood there's not gonna like just nightmare scenarios it's very cartoon villain activity yeah and so Naturally, the first thing I thought was, could an AI replace us as podcast hosts? Oh my god, so, I'm going to say the answer is yes. So this morning, using Google's uh, OpenAI-powered tool, which is called Bard, um, I gave it a few different prompts to see like how it could... Uh, what insight it could provide into pop culture that we couldn't. And I especially wanted to see if it fucked up, right? I wanted to see if it messed up, if I could call it on its shit. And so the first prompt uh, that I'm going to read you the computer's response, the first prompt I gave it was, write a short essay on the cultural impact of the 2004 animated film Shark Tale. (laughs) Oh, my God. If it, so if it doesn't this... mention when they open the casket and the shark floats to the surface, I don't, I don't want to know. So uh, so I'm going to read you um, most of this essay. I'm going to give you my commentary throughout, kind of. Uh, but here's how it starts. Okay. Shark Tale, a 2004 American computer animated comedy film produced by DreamWorks Animation and distributed by DreamWorks Pictures, was a critical and commercial success. The film's cultural impact has been significant, both in terms of its influence on the animated film genre and its representation of race and ethnicity. Oh. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay. A little dry, but I'm with you so far. Sure. One of the most notable aspects of Shark Tale is its use of pop culture references. The film's dialogue is peppered with references to classic films, television shows, and music, and its soundtrack features original songs by Will Smith, Christina Aguilera, and Missy Elliott. The use of pop culture references helped to make Shark Tale a more appealing film for adults. Now, I'm going to disagree with that, (laughs) personally. Hey, wait, you changed your mind halfway through. And it also helped to solidify the film's place in the cultural zeitgeist. Mm. And again, this film was never in the zeitgeist. (laughs) It was very popular very briefly. Another notable aspect of Shark Tale is its representation of race and ethnicity. The film's characters are predominantly African-American or Latino. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. Angelina Jolie's Latino. 
And I'm going to read you the six actors that are listed on the poster for Shark Tale. And you have to tell me, yes or no, is this person white? Okay? Okay. So, okay. Top-billed actor Will Smith. No. He's black. That's correct. (laughs) Yes. Number two-billed actor, Renee Zellweger. Yes. She's white. As far as we know. So that's that's one and one so far. One and one. Number three build actor, Jack Black. <laughs> yes. Okay, so he's white. So now that's one to two. Yeah. Skewing skewing white so far. Mm-hmm. Number four build actor. Again, is this person white? Here we go. Robert De Niro. <laughs> yes. Well, he's Italian, and we all he's know. Italians. <laughs> so do Italians count as people of color? So it's one to two. Three to one. It's one to one to two to one. <laughs> two to one to two to one. Yeah. Okay. Number number five build actor, Angelina Jolie. Yes. Yes, so she's white. So it's one to three to one. We have one, <laughs> one black lead actor, three white lead actors, and one Italian lead actor. <laughs> Sixth build actor. You're like, oh, I hope it's gonna be a Latino. <laughs> Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Italian. Italian. So one to three to two. So, okay. So, so uh, the representation of race and ethnicity was groundbreaking for an animated film. Because it had two Italians and, in it. Because it, it had t- two Italians in it. And it helped to pave the way for other films, such as The Princess and the Frog and Moana. No. <laughs> no. No, no. To feature more diverse casts. Absolutely not. I guess. Wait, when did Osmosis Jones come out? Uh, that's a great. That question. was two thousand one. Uh, that one. Uh, that was before Shark Tale. Shark Tale was oh four. Um, <clears throat> okay. So, in addition to its cultural, Im- I'm skipping ahead okay. a little. In addition to its cultural impact, Shark Tale has also had a significant impact on the animated film industry. Mm-hmm. The film's success helped to solidify DreamWorks Animation's position as a leading animation studio, and it also helped to popularize the use of pop culture references in animated films. Shark Tale's influence can be seen in many of the animated films that have been released since its release. A little clunky wording, but I'm not gonna be too harsh on that. Including <laughs> Shrek. So here's the thing. Two Shrek movies were out by the time Shark Tale came out. So it didn't influence Shrek at all. No. <laughs> if anything, Shrek influenced Shark Tale. Right. Um, Madagascar, which did come out after. Which was great. And then, Despi- and then Despicable Me, which is not a DreamWorks film. It's by Illumination. Um, so anyway, so that was, so, okay. So that was the essay on Shark Tale. Okay. And I'm like, well, that's. Inaccurate. Got some inaccuracies. Yeah. Um, and even if it were accurate, it's like, well, that's not what people come to the podcast for. People come to the podcast for those legendary riffs that you and I do. Like, specifically, you and I, in that episode, Nadia, maybe you remember, um, at one point the Will Smith character says, you can't handle the truth, <laughs> referencing the Aaron Sorkin penned uh, play and movie A Few Good Men and we said oh god can you imagine if there was like uh, uh, the West Wing but it was the West Reef <laughs> so the next prompt that I gave the AI was wait it was uh, uh, third wait something studio on the on the seabed strip stu- stu- studio, studio 60 on the seabed <laughs> strip was the other one I do remember so, that that was good I was very proud of that 
Yeah, so the next prompt that I gave the AI was write three episode summaries of the television series The West Wing if The West Wing was set underwater and the main characters were fish. (laughs) See, this is the real way we should be using AI. (laughs) Yeah. Episode one. The episode opens with the President of the United States, a dolphin named Jed Bartlett. So I got to stop right there. (laughs) Dolphins are not fish. It's a mammal. Dolphins are mammals. (laughs) (laughs) Giving a speech to a group of fish about the importance of environmental protection. Mm -hmm. So far I'm with this because, like, Bartlett was a Democrat in the show. I get that. After the speech, Bartlett meets with his chief of staff, a shark named Leo McGarry, (laughs) to discuss a recent oil spill that has polluted a large area of the ocean. McGarry tells Bartlett that the oil company responsible for the spill is refusing to clean it up, and Bartlett orders uh, orders him to find a way to force them to do so. Episode two. Now, again, I feel like that was a little thin for episode one. That could be a cold open. That's an A that story. Not a full episode. Right. Yeah. Episode two. Uh, episode two follows the efforts of the White House staff to clean up the oil spill. McGarry meets with the CEO of the oil company, a giant squid named John Hoynes. Again, <laughs> squid is not a fish, it is a cephalopod. <laughs> The way that you're talking, again, squid is not a fish. It's like you're so patient, like you're talking to a child, and it's an AI. (laughs) And threatens to sue the company if they don't clean up the spill. (laughs) Hoynes refuses McGarry is forced to take the company to court. Episode three. Uh, the episode These are culminates acts. These in These aren't ch- episodes. This is like... The, right. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. This is like one episode. They are like breaking one episode. Yeah. So this there. third one is Act 3, motherfuckers. Act 3, <laughs> motherfuckers. Open up that hole. The episode culminates in a trial <laughs> in which the White House staff tries to prove that the oil company is responsible for the oil spill, which, by the way, seems easy to prove. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, they did it. There's oil. Anyways. The trial is presided over by a judge, a walrus named Sam Seaborn. <laughs> walrus is not a fish. It is a pinniped mammal. <laughs> I missed you so much. <laughs> and the jury is made up of a group of fish from different species. In the end, the jury finds in favor of the White House, the oil companies, or to clean up the spill. These are just three examples of how the West Wing could be adapted to an underwater setting. With a little creativity, it's easy to imagine how the show's characters and storylines could be translated to a new environment. Calm down. <laughs> Listen, there was no stenographer that was also a jellyfish. That <laughs> I can come up with, but not an AI. They can't do that. <laughs> So I have one more for you, Nadia. (laughs) Okay, I'm ready. I have one more for you. And this one I feel like we might have a little bit to talk about. But I said, uh, I I wanted to really get to what is the heart of the show? What is the heart of our show? Oh. Like, what is our show ultimately about? Could an AI ever really replace what you and I are really trying to dig into and get at and what I think the mission statement of our show is? So the prompt I gave the AI was, write a short essay on influential American comedy movies from 2002 
and how they responded to the September 11th, 2001 <laughs> terrorist attacks. Okay, this is this is the ethos of the podcast. It's this, about this how we about. have all been dealing with 9-11 since 9/11. September 11th, 2001. We all know how Gerard dealt with it. <laughs> Gerard is the only one that handled it appropriately. In my Gerard opinion. Way of My Chemical Romance, for those who don't are new yeah. to the podcast, we are oh, uh, like, very yeah, pro Sorry if you haven't listened to a single episode of the show before. <laughs> The September 11th, 2001 terror attacks had a profound impact on American culture, and comedy was no exception. Mm. In the <laughs> Such a strong opening. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of the attacks, many comedians felt that it was inappropriate to make light of the situation, and there was a noticeable decrease in the number of comedy movies released in 2001. Oh, no. However, by 2002, some comedians began to feel that it was important to use comedy as a way to process the trauma of 9-11, and to start to heal. Mm. So again, I'm about to name two movies, Nadia. <sighs> and I want you to tell me if these were really the first two movies you thought of when I said, use comedy to process the trauma of 9-11. Okay. Two of the most influential American comedy movies from 2002 were My Big Fat Greek Wedding. <laughs> And the sweetest thing. Oh, is it the one with Cameron Diaz? Yes. <laughs> no. Hold on. Both of these films was that Cameron Diaz or was it Reese? No, Witherspoon? it's Cameron Diaz, it? Christina Applegate, and Selma Blair. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh okay. Uh, so. Uh, both of these films were lighthearted and escapist, and they offered the audiences a much-needed respite from the heavy news coverage of the time. However, they also dealt with the aftermath of 9-11 in subtle ways. My Big Fat Greek Wedding is a romantic comedy about a young woman from a Greek family who falls in love with an Italian-American man. I don't know if that's right. No. I don't think he's Italian. John Corbett is a white white guy. Like like a typical white dude. As we know, Italians aren't white. (laughs) Right, yeah. The film is full of humor, but it also explores the themes of family, culture, and identity. In the wake of 9-11, many Americans were feeling a renewed sense of patriotism and pride oh. in their country. And my big fat Greek wedding tapped into this sentiment. What the no, fuck it are didn't. they talking there were, about? There was never a scene in there where, uh, what's the... What's her name? The lead in the movie. Uh, Nia Vardalos. Nia Vardalos yeah. was just like, I'm gonna stick my cowboy boot in a terrorist's ass. That right. was what people like, were doing. It's like actually the main sentiment immediately after 9/11 was physically harming anyone who looked or talks differently yeah, than you. Yeah. We need to stop all brown people at the airport. That was what right. people were up to. And and so like this is not like my big fat Greek wedding is not a movie that I'm like, yeah, that was mainly a response <laughs> to 9/11, especially since it's based on a one-woman show that was written and performed before 9/11 happened. Yeah, also Greek people had nothing to do with that. <laughs> Greek yeah, I look. Look, there are a lot of lines redacted from the 9/11 commission's report, but I'm pretty sure they don't say, "Oh yeah, the Greeks did this." Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Maybe somebody had said, like, pass the hummus, but, like, <laughs> that's something else. That was just, like, slice of life. So, okay, so now um, so now we move on to the sweetest thing, oh which I have not seen. I haven't either. And I'm 
going to pull it up on Wikipedia because I don't actually believe the plot summary that I got. I have it up. I can read it for you. A, uh, hang on. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I have it here. It's um, when it comes to dating, okay. Christina Walters, played by Cameron Diaz, has a golden rule. Avoid searching for Mr. Right and focus on Mr. Right now. That is until one night at a club when she unexpectedly meets Peter, played by Thomas Jane, only to see him suddenly disappear the next day. She and her best friend Courtney, played by Christina Applegate, decide to break the rules and go on a road trip to find him, encountering wild and hilarious misadventures along the way. Okay. So here's what the AI told me. Okay. The Sweetest Thing is a female-driven comedy about three friends who go on a road trip to Las Vegas. The film is full of raunchy humor, but it also deals with the issue of grief. One of the friends in the film has recently lost her fiancé in the 9-11 attacks. What? And she is struggling to cope with her loss. What? Hang on. Is there a... Because this isn't in the Wikipedia summary. It's not in the IMDb summary at all. Is there a 9-11 reference... In the sweetest thing. Are you serious, dude? I think they made this up. (laughs) What? Uh, I don't think... Hold on a second. I I think the AI fucked up and told me that the sweetest thing is about 9-11. No, it says that she had just recently broke up with her boyfriend. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't say that it was because he was killed in nine eleven. Tony. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So that's the thing about AI. It just fucking lies. It just fucking lies. In addition to My Big Fat Greek Wedding and The Sweetest Thing, there were a few other notable American comedy movies released in 2004 that dealt with the aftermath of 9-11. These included, are you ready for this list? Yeah, I'm scared. Analyze That, which was the sequel to (laughs) Analyze This, Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro, The Son-in-Law, and Zoolander, which is not about 9-11. Wait, is The Son-in-Law is that one with Polly Shore? I think so, right? That wasn't in 2001. 2002. Um, Polly Short. That was from 1993, bro. Hang on. The son-in-law. Oh, the son-in-law. The No, but that's a TV show. Okay, well, this is a fucking lie. Does this movie not exist? I don't think so, because son-in-law is when uh, Polly Shore is, like, this city slicker guy, and he goes to meet mm-hmm. his uh, girlfriend's family, and they, like, live on a farm, and there's chickens, and he goes, mm-hmm, is it extra crispy original recipe? Right, right, right. You know I sat next to him on a plane once to ever tell you that No? Story. What? Yeah, he flies He flies southwest. Um, <laughs> and so... Was he nice? Uh he was fine. He got up a lot for someone who was in a window seat. Anyways, I mean. the <laughs> the the um Zoolander came out in December 2001. It was in the can by 9/11. Like it's not about 9/11. No. <laughs> um, and thank God it came out cuz the world was ready to laugh again. <laughs> and so <laughs> Wait, why like, is Ariana Grande credited as latex BDSM in Zoolander on Google? It, is she 
is she in does she have like a bit part in zoolander is she at the day spa d-a-i-y-e dude this (laughs) this is crazy okay the point is (laughs) the point is our jobs doing the podcast which are not jobs and we don't get paid for them um, we do when people very graciously donate to the podcast. KO-FI.com <laughs> slash probably should We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, our job is secure, Nadia. AI can't replace us. They Thank think God. my big fat Greek wedding is about 9-11. And <laughs> I can't believe it. <clears throat> I really, truly cannot believe it. And they think and they think that Italians are Latinos. <laughs> well, you know, that's how Latinos were cast. Like Jennifer Lopez is Latina, but she plays Italian character in the wedding planner. Oh no kidding. Mm-hmm. She's not she's oh, not allowed to be Puerto out. Rican. She has to be Italian. <laughs> oh, I, I uh, Ariana Grande is in Zoolander too. Not the first one. Oh, she's in... Oh, Zoolander 2. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. that makes sense. Because that was after <clears throat> she, like... Exactly. Yeah, she would have been, like, 12 when Zoolander <laughs> I know. I was like, why is she a latex BDSM character latex when she's, thumb, like, 11? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so oh I'm glad that our jobs, unpaid, are secure. <laughs> uh, I am heartened by this. It makes me feel good because you know, we do spend a lot of time making this pod and the like few people who do listen to it that like really like it are really wonderful. But you know, yes. sometimes it's like I see podcasts that have like millions <laughs> of listeners and those people can just like live off of that and I'm like that would be kind of cool. Yeah. So keep giving to the Ko-Fi page <laughs> we'll link in the show notes. Um we are like we should we should say this. We're gonna bring the show back at some point. Yeah. Um. As soon as my four year old starts sleeping through the fucking night again, <laughs> um, because she's going on, undergoing a little bit of a sleep regression right now, mm-hmm. we will. And I already pitched Nadia on it, and she already said no. Uh, we will watch all ten episodes of season one of Girls. No, I do not. <laughs> I do not want to watch Lena Dunham do anything. You know she's doing the Polly Pocket movie, by the way. Do you have any idea how many think pieces there were about season one of Girls? We we could record a forty five episode season on just that on just that like three month stretch of television. I don't want to relive like... being who I was when I was watching <laughs> Girls because I also had an Adam Driver type situationship, and I don't I don't really want to go back there. I don't really want to remember. The... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so we will bring it back. Yeah. We we will bring it back. Uh, hopefully in the fall is my hope, but we're gonna figure that yeah, out. Yeah, when it's less um, hot in the closet, I record in because it's yeah, exactly. like a thousand degrees because our planet yeah. is slowly dying. But you know, we gotta think yeah. positive. <laughs> and folks, what better way to celebrate uh, a world that is slowly dying than to party with the kids who want to party with you, and we want to party with you. That's really sweet. Um, so I gotta I'm, listen to that. Tr- I'm trying to bring it back. Oh, you'd like bad moves a lot. You gotta listen yeah, to they're... a band called Good Hangs. They're, uh, Good Hangs, similar okay. in Good like Hangs, bad name, moves. but they're more <laughs> yeah. kind of emo, which is good. Okay. Yeah. No, uh, no problems here. 
Okay, guys, check out those bands. <laughs> um, I don't think we have... Do we have a Twitter anymore? We don't have a Facebook We anymore. don't have a Facebook. <laughs> we do have a Twitter and an Instagram. Uh, yeah, inst- we- Instagram is where most of you guys are anyway, I think, so yeah. it's probably should have on Instagram. Yeah. Um, also, it's not called Twitter anymore. It's called oh, X. Yeah. yeah, x.com slash probably should have, <laughs> and I'm just making the world's biggest jerk-off motion. <laughs> Uh, while I say that, um, we love you guys. We'll see you soon. Bye.